This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day, hope you're well. Thanks for listening to episode 12 of Taking It Easy. My guess this episode is Australian racehorse trainer Troy Corstens. I've always been pretty curious as to what happens in the day-to-day life of a horse trainer. Uh, thankfully, Troy was only too happy to show me around his Flemington stables and uh, have a sit down and explain what goes on. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Troy Corstens, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? Yeah, very good, Daniel. Thank you. That's all right. Thanks for having me at your beautiful training base here, Malua Racing slash Corstens Racing. Is that all one word or is it a... Yeah, we, we um, it was Malua Racing and then um, we merged, so we, we changed it to Malua Racing yeah. Team Corstens. Right, yeah. yeah. And here at Flemington, do you pinch yourself that you're training on such a amazing track? Yeah, it is amazing. It's uh, You're spot on there. It, it's a different world. People sort of don't know that uh, we're down here. Really, they they drive past every morning, uh, going to their jobs, and uh, little do they know that there's 600 um, horses working here in Flemington, yeah. and and uh, equal amount of staff down here as well. Yeah, I just walked through. I I, I knew of Flemington. I knew I've been here before to the races, but I'd never knew this space out the back here was so big. And it's amazing. Like it's very well kept, and just looks unbelievable as you're walking past all the facilities yeah you know. there's some beautiful stables too um and obviously a lot of history into them as well i think that uh, i don't think i know everybody uh, that trains now at flemington is on course right. um back in uh, back in the days uh in the 90s and and obviously into the 2000s there were stables up on the hill so uh, oh, okay. we used to have to walk from up on the hill and bart stables were actually up there and colin hayes's um, we have to. We used to walk them down from the hill down to the uh, right. tie-up stores, which are our stables now. Right, and is that all just housing? It's all. Yeah, obviously yeah. it was yeah. uh, worth a hell of a lot of money, yeah. and I, I think uh, I think Bart's stables got uh, forty apartments on it, and uh, right. CS's old stables got uh, equal as many. Wow, uh, and plus the history that's happened on this track is pretty. You just over the road, like it's just there. All yeah, the, the famous horses that have run. Yeah, it grass. is good. It's um, obviously uh, a hell of a lot of good horses have been trained from Flemington, and yeah. I think it's still uh, probably the premier place to train. I, I'm probably a touch biased, but uh, <laughs> and I know that uh, Ballarat's made uh, fantastic inroads, and it's a really good training facility. And yeah. Caulfield's always been there, and it's always been good. But I, I just think Flemington's just got that little bit of an air about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you were born into the racing industry. Your dad, Leon Corson's. Uh, was uh, a partner who uh, worked for Bart Cummings for a number of years. Do you ever think that uh, any other profession apart from in the racing industry would be for you? Or Well, I, I actually um, – I grew up not liking it because – Oh, really? I, I did. It was it – was, um, when you're a kid, you, you sort of see the world very differently and uh, I'd see – my father working for Bart, um, he was a, he was assistant trainer and uh, he, he ran the stable on his own so he was in charge and did everything on his own and he'd put in 60 to 70 hour weeks every week, yeah, um, right. you know, week in, week out, no Sundays off, uh, no holidays for Troy and Kevin yeah. who's my brother, 
Um, no uh, Sundays coming to watch me play football. <laughs> so I basically thought that uh, Bart stole my father. <laughs> and then when I saw his paycheck each week of yeah. uh, the uh, beautiful sum of $450, <laughs> I um, I was put off. I didn't see, think that uh, I really wanted to put in that much work right. to, to get that many dollars. So yeah. up until I was about well, probably – Probably 15 or 16, I, I was really not interested. Yeah. Um, and then, funnily enough, a couple of mates from school sort of got the punting bug. Yeah. And uh, kind of went from there a little bit. And yeah. we, we had a really good spring one year. I think it was 1991. And uh, my mate and I, I think we won about 10 grand each in one wow. spring carnival, which was, for a 17-year-old, was uh, was quite yeah. a lot of money. And uh, what, I, I got the bug after that. Yeah. Uh, so you would have witnessed some pretty – Special wins when your dad was working for, for Bart as yeah, well. Yeah, very that, much so. Well, so obviously, um, so did you clean up on some of those? Like, yeah, very like, much. Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, yeah. Let's alope Melbourne Cup. Yeah, uh, that was always good. Um, just the, the the quality of the horses that came through. Shivers yeah. Revenge was always a favourite of mine. Yeah, he was. He sort of played bridesmaid to Let's Alope quite a bit, but yeah. he was just a. a a real trier, a dogged horse that um, tried yeah. his guts out every time he went around. Uh, horses like Shaftesbury Avenue and uh, yeah. Richfield Lady, there's just so, too many to name, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, your mates must have enjoyed the inside word. <laughs> you were like, yeah, well, the horses you, were going well. It was or? funny because um, <laughs> my mate's uncle was actually um, a bagman for one of the bookies. Yeah. So we'd, uh, we'd go and bet with him and obviously when we're betting with him, he's copping the tip as well. So <laughs> I'm not sure how much he made but uh, we were pretty happy at 17 to be able to get on and yeah. and have a bit of a go. Uh, and it, those feelings of like the, you know, let's alone winning and those big, big wins for uh, when Bart was winning those big races, did that light a fire in you to give you any interest then to maybe want to yeah, it did. one day? It did. It, um, I, I always saw that side of things because I, I, you know, I got dragged along to the celebrations and all that sort of stuff. So that was always there. But um, I think it didn't really hit home until Dad went out on his own. Yeah. Because uh, it was always, uh, you know, Dad working his bum off and getting the results yeah. for Bart. Yeah. But when Dad started working his bum off and uh, got the results for myself, my brother and him, that yeah. was a, a bit of a different story. Yeah, right. So he went out on his own in the early 90s. Yep. Like 94. And it was, did you start working with him around then? Or? Yeah, well, just before just before he – probably two years before he ended uh, working with Bart, he, he managed to get himself a little pre-training business. So okay. we set that up out at Rock Bank at uh, Ernie Hewitt's place. Right. Um, and actually Jim Mason was running it for a stage for us and I, I did a lot of work under Jim Mason. So basically I, I learnt the ropes there. I'd always spent time in the stable but I'd never actually worked. Yeah. So I did two years there before I came to Flemington. Right. And uh, what, what you – after that, so you worked in the industry for a while and you took out your – you took out your own training licence uh, roughly in about 2010, is it? Yeah. yeah so yeah. in between I <clears throat> was working for Dad um, and then I went overseas for two years. I uh, got t- terrific experience over there. I worked for uh, Chris Nath, who was a leading trainer in South Africa. Right. I was uh, his assistant trainer to him. So I got some really good experience over there. I also went to Lindsay Park for a year. Yeah. Um, had a ripping time over there. It was yeah. probably – I probably had more fun than I learned. But anyway, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was still great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And then I came back and I was working for Dad again here at Flemington. And uh, back in the day, we didn't have uh, racing managers. And right. I thought to myself – I don't think I want to be picking up uh, horse poo for yeah, the rest yeah. of my life. Um, and I can't see Dad uh, handing the reins over for a long time. So yeah. I had to find a, a position that really suited me that yeah. um, not that I didn't like the hard work, but I just wanted to, to try something different. So yeah. uh, I probably invented a racing manager's job. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And, and when you become a trainer eventually, you've just sort of – most trainers at start would have spent a lot of time with other trainers, like doing their – you know, being a foreman or, or picking up just tips along the way is that yep. how it works like nobody really goes into it yeah it's a, it's a really unique industry Dan because you can't just come in and say right I want to be a horse trainer yeah, yeah. You, it's one of those industries where you have to start at the bottom yeah. no matter what you do yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to be a bloodstock agent uh, you know if you want to be a float driver you still need yeah. that hands-on experience of being able to work with horses yeah if you want to run a stud you still need that um, hands-on yep. experience. That, so everybody's basically got to go through. Obviously, if you've got a bit of nous and uh, mm. a bit of oomph behind you, you, you get through very, very quickly yep. um, and you can rise to the top quite quickly. 
but um, it is one industry that you have to earn your stripes. Yeah, yeah. Do you find does it, do you notice that people who get there maybe too quickly struggle a bit because they haven't got that experience behind them? Is that? Um, yeah, I, I suppose there there is a little bit of that, but I, I don't think that. You know, I think that I don't think there is is too many fly by nighters that yeah. uh, I, like I can't reel one off at the moment. I can't think of anyone that thinks yeah. oh he's got there too quick and yeah. doesn't know what's going on because, mm. you know, usually they've got five or six years of training behind them and you know a small team down at, you know, Warrnambool or up yeah. at Bendigo or somewhere like that before they come to the city and, yeah. um, you know, they've done their apprenticeship as a trainer and, mm. and they know exactly what's going on. Right. So fast forward to now, uh, two thousand eighteen. Um, you've got training bases here at Flemington and at Geelong. Yep. Um, so I want to sort of get into the inner workings of a horse trainer because a lot of people, you know, outside of racing, the racing industry, wouldn't really understand what you do of a morning or what goes into it. I'm sure people that see, you know, Channel 7, the spring carnival week, watch a tra- see a trainer get interviewed and think, oh, they probably just get up in the morning and run their horses for a bit and then go home. But there's just so much more to it, isn't there? There's... So how many horses have you got in work between both bases? So we've got uh, 70 between both. We've got 52 here at Flemington and 18 down at Geelong. Right. I've uh, got a staff of about 26 yeah. at the moment. That includes uh, riders as well. So yeah. some of your riders um, just basically work the mornings and then not the afternoons. And then you've got your full-time staff that do both, obviously. Right. So what sort of hours would they be doing? Oh, they work hard. They work very yeah. hard, our staff. At, uh, they do an amazing job. They, I've recently just um, changed our starting hour. We were starting at 3.30 um, and now all of a sudden I've changed it and we're starting at 4.30 now, which yeah. doesn't seem like a lot, but I can tell you at that morning, yeah. uh, that hour <laughs> yeah. of the morning, it, uh, that, that extra hour really does make a good difference now. Yeah. Um, I think my staff are enjoying it. I've only been doing it for about two months, but I think yeah. they're really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, and the key is we're not finishing an hour later, I've got to tell you. <laughs> we're finishing about half an hour later, yeah. which, is, uh, which is really funny. It's, a, Works, it's yeah. a really good observation. Yeah. And then do they – so they, they do a morning shift and then come back? Yeah, the so they'll come back in the afternoons at 1.30. Yeah. Every horse comes out of its box and either has a, has a swim yeah. uh, in the pool over here or a walk uh, yeah. on the walker for about half an hour. Then they get fed. Obviously, the boxes get picked up in the afternoons. Mm. Um, any medications and treatments that need to be done get done. And then uh, this time of the year is most important, we start changing rugs. Right, So yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're obviously uh, finely tuned athletes mm. and uh, their, their temperature is extremely important at the right. moment. So it's something that we have to do two to three times a day is wow. changing rugs. So right. in the morning when they um, come home and they're still hot from uh, having worked, yeah. they'll get a light rug on until yeah. they dry off and cool down a little bit. And then they might change into a canvas right. rug, which is slightly heavier. Yeah. And then in the afternoon when it's going to get cold and they've done all their work, mm. uh, they might get a doona put on. So right. they'll keep them nice and warm overnight. Yeah. What do they get through winter when Melbourne winters? They get a yeah, couple well, of Yeah, then we have, uh, we have what's called a woolly and a doona, which yeah, is right. uh, if you put both of them on you, you could quite comfortably sleep uh, <laughs> outside and in the cold. Yeah. How, how many do you, owners do you do you know how many owners you roughly have across those that many horses? I've got about um, – We've got about 800 active owners at the moment. Right. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, you're looking after horses' training schedules, you're racing, where they've got a race at, you yep. know, the, your staff rosters, yeah. keeping owners happy. It's it's It seems like, is it a seven-day-a-week? Yeah, 20, it is. Yeah. Do yeah, you, it ever, is. you never would really stop thinking about? I try I try to have um, Sundays off. So right. I'll, I'll try not to organise too much on a Sunday. And if we do have runners, I'm lucky enough that I've got really good staff that they handle it and yeah. um, they can go to the track for us and, and uh, manage manage the owners and manage the horses. Yeah, so yeah. I do try to have Sundays off and uh, spend that with the family. Yeah. And do you try, try to get a couple of weeks off a year or is it, is it just all year round? Uh, no, usually I get it. I always get a break. I, yeah. I um I love skiing, so oh, right. I'll take the family up skiing. Yeah, over snow. The winter or, oh yes, yeah, yeah, snow, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, great. Out of the seventy odd horses you've got training uh, in your stable at one time, do they have individual training programs, or are they all pretty similar? They're they're similar within reason. So right. um, getting horses ready, I think for the first, it usually takes um, twelve weeks to bring a horse in from the paddock. Yeah. To get into a, a race. Yeah. So the first sort of four to six weeks is very, very similar. Yeah. They all do the same thing. Just right. um, first three weeks is basically trotting and cantering, knocking the rough edges off, getting um, a little bit of muscle tone to them so that they're ready to pick up and start doing the intensity work of the yeah. galloping. Yeah. 
once they get up and they get running, uh, then they all differ. Yeah. So uh, by differ, I mean sometimes you get a heavy horse that uh, you nearly, really need to pile the work into to yeah. get them fit and race ready so that yeah. they can carry that weight into the race. They don't break down and stuff right. like that. And then you might get a fine filly that doesn't cop all the hard work. Yeah. So you've really got to, once you've got her fit, then you've got to back off and then basically they just keep themselves race fit. I've got a horse called um, Joe Caster. Yeah. Uh, she's not the greatest horse in the world. And she does, when you work her on the track, she actually does a stack of work within herself. So yeah. she really works herself very hard. So what I do is once I've got her up and got her fit, I basically race her every seven days. Okay. And yeah. she's That's she's awesome. very honest. She's not the greatest horse in the world. I think she's yeah. 150,000. Yeah. But the, the owners have uh, great fun because every yeah. seven days she's racing, which is yeah. rare with a racehorse. It's usually two weeks minimum between runs. Yeah, right. And, and obviously different ages for horses would vary as well with because obviously a two-year-old. Yeah, very much yeah, so. Yeah, the two, so the two-year-olds don't don't usually cop as much work as the an yeah. older horse. Yeah. And, and it's a fine balance with a two-year-old between keeping them sound and uh, tipping them over the top. Shin soreness is a huge thing in two-year-old racing. Right, yeah. So uh, the bones just aren't ready for the pressure. And the second that they show that they're not ready, we send them straight back out to the paddock. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, do you have uh, a paddock where you – like a property you always send them to? Yeah, I've got a, I use a place called Rosemont Stud yeah. down at Geelong. And I also use a place called Neuralin Park, which yeah. is up in Nagambi. Cool. Uh, so you basically get the best of both worlds. See, in the winter, I think that um, Neuralin's probably – it's probably two to three degrees um, warmer, right? Uh, which yeah. is, I think, shows uh, in your horses. But um, we still spell a hell of a lot down at Rosemont. It's an hour from here. They do a fantastic job and uh, the horses always come back looking super. Yeah, great. And do, do you notice each sort of horse has their own personality that you can work out over time? Like each one you can know by just looking at or, you know, their mannerisms and, um, do, yeah, do some horses react differently to – you know, obviously in races, some can react to a whip or, you know, around the training stable. Is that yeah, the same? Very like much some so. get a yeah, bit. Yeah, they're, like, uh, they're all very different. Um, and it's probably uh, my assistant trainer here, Paul um, Burslam, he does a fantastic job. And just the day to day stuff, he'll, he'll um, oh, you know, I'll be out in the box and uh, I see them work. Obviously, they come out to me and I watch some track work and everything like that. But Paul will report to me. She's getting a little bit sour, that mare. Yeah. You know, she may – just be careful. She may have just had enough. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's how they – that's their way of showing you that, right, oh, I've had enough. They get really cranky and yeah. sour um, and they don't want to do it anymore. In saying that, you've really got to know your horse because there's – I've got fillies and mares that, that are actually cranky all the time. Okay. So yeah. Um, yeah. they can be like that as well. So you've just yeah. got to – you've really got to know your horse yeah. and know the intricacies of your horse and know, righto, if he brings me up and says that, I'll say, well, she's always like that. So yeah. you don't take it that way. But the other, if, you know, you've got a mare that's um, – you know, usually kind and, yeah. and, and lovely and all of a sudden she's turned cranky, you know, she's probably had enough. Right, starts biting. And yeah, exactly, yeah, which yeah. They, they can do. It's yeah. uh, you, you, you get it a little bit. Um, you just got to be you have your wits about you. Yeah, they, yeah. they get a bit uh, – <laughs> they can get a bit narky when you're in the boxes with them. Yeah. Uh, also, a lot of prob people probably don't realise that are outside of the industry what uh, goes into training a horse of a morning. So what sort of things would you go through – you get here at 4.30, uh, say you've take, got a horse out to exercise, what sort of things do they do so of a morning? It starts probably, that the, uh, Paul will get here probably about 10 past four. Yeah. He'll walk around and check every horse's feed bin. Mm -hmm. So the feed bin is the probably the key factor to tell us how the horses are and okay. how their well-being is and everything like that. You know, if you've got a, a horse that's usually a really good eater, and they've left, um, you know, a dipper of feed, which is usually about a kilo. You know that something's wrong straight right. away. Yeah. When would that? When would that food have been put there? Like the night. The before? night before. Right. Yeah. yeah. So about four o'clock, they get fed in the okay. afternoon. Yeah. Uh, we leave them alone from fivewards, and then get back in at four four thirty in the morning. Yeah. So they've had all that time overnight to eat that feed mm, right. and relax and sleep. And if um, there's something wrong and there's food left, we straight away we check their temperature. Yeah. Um, check their vital signs and everything like that. And usually uh, when they have left, there's a bit of a virus happening. Or, right. Um, sometimes if they haven't got water or something like that, um, you know, they might have kicked their water bucket over. Yeah. Um, sometimes they can be dehydrated and that's why they leave feet. So right. you, you give them a drink straight away and they right. can snap back into it. 
And is that something that, that happens often? Is it? No, not often. No, no. It's, it's very rare that they kick their water over because uh, – or, or, the, or the temperature. Like or the, the temperature. We probably get uh, two or three a week. Right. Yeah, they get little bugs and uh, yeah. viruses. So uh, we just stay on top of things that, that way. Yeah. And, and they just have a morning off? Or yeah, 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 usually a morning off. And um, the vet, once the vet comes in, she gets here at about eight. Uh, we'll check and go straight over the horse, go right over it. And yeah. She'll prescribe some antibiotics or something like that if we need it, or um, you know, sometimes if it's not too serious, if it's just a slight temperature, we'll wait till the next day. Yeah. We'll treat the horse, um, bring the temp down. With it's like um, like us having Panadol. Yeah. Uh, bring the temperature down and then wait and monitor overnight. But you definitely don't work a horse with a, a temperature. Yeah. And and what sort of kilometres would they ha- they do of a morning with a so, jockey on their back? Yeah, when they come out, they they walk probably. Oh, it's about a kilometre to get yeah. to get out to the middle. Then they'll trot probably two kilometres, mm-hmm. and then they'll canter probably two kilometres. Right. That's on a slow morning. Yeah. And then on a fast morning, they'll do the walk. Um, sorry, they 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 walk on the walker here for half an hour beforehand as well. So right. I'm not sure what distance that is, but yeah, uh, like a treadmill. Yeah, basically, yeah. 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 So they stay on the treadmill for half an hour, then walk out for half an hour, yeah. trot, um, and then depending on where they're racing. You know, if you've got a, a sort of a 2,000-metre horse, they'll work anything up to 1,600 metres. Yeah. So that'll be their gallop. Mm-hmm. And then they'll finish their gallop, come back and see me out in the middle in the box, and I then monitor how hard they're blowing and or how easy they've done it, and I'll listen to the track rider, and that track rider will tell me that their action was good or their action wasn't spot on, and yeah. uh, we go from there. So there's it's, it's really intricate, the, yeah. and a lot of people are involved in – um, you know, getting them up, getting them running, and basically keeping them happy, yeah. healthy, and sound, and yeah. that's uh, that's the key, I think. And like, uh, say, a footy player, like an athlete, probably wouldn't train the day before a game. Is it similar with horses? Do they not train? Do you sort of give them a couple of days off before? No, race? no, we no. don't. It's um, it's, it's yeah. We, we always give them a stretch of the legs, no matter what. They'll, right. They they yeah. work every day, except if they're not. Racing, they, they they might have a Sunday off, but they'll still have a walk. Um, but if a horse is uh, racing today, it would have had a trot encounter yesterday yeah. of probably the four kilometres, and then today I like I back it off and um, they do probably one kilometre. Yeah. So they just trot half a k, canter half a k, and all I'm doing there is making sure that going into the race today that they're sound. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. They haven't hurt themselves overnight or anything like that because yeah. that's a big thing. Obviously, if you've got a footballer. He yeah. can say to the coach in the morning, geez, I uh, think I twinged a hammy last yeah. night, whereas a horse can't say so, that. So yeah. you need your track rider on. You need to make sure that they're sound going into the race day. Yeah. And do you, do you over time, you just work out how to look at a horse that's cantering and see that there's something wrong? Can you see it like from your Yeah, cantering is quite hard, but trotting, trotting you can pick straight away. Right, yeah. okay. You can see in their gait straight away when they're sore when they're trotting. Yeah. Cantering is a little bit difficult to pick it. They'd have to be really sore to, uh, to pick it. Yeah. And when does swimming come into things? Like that's... Every day, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. We swim them every day. It's a uh, it's a really way a really good way to get fitness into them without putting too much pressure on their legs. And obviously, horses with um, arthritic um, joints and stuff like that, we do a lot of extra swimming with them. Yeah. So they, yeah, they sound like they're treated like absolute athletes, aren't they? They yeah, uh, they are. Yeah, they yeah. are. Well, you, from everything to diet um, to work schedules to you know the way they get groomed and looked after. Uh, they they really are looked after super well. Yeah, how, how do you how do you react to people who dislike horse racing? And uh, you, you probably would have see protesters around Flemington at Spring Carnival time because that's the big time where people are watching horse that pro- that, racing. That probably look. I'm I'm probably a touch new age, and everyone everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, obviously, I disagree with them. Mm, yeah. the, the, the thing the thing that I really don't like though is if you've got an issue. Get down here in the middle of winter, mm. you know, when it's 13 degrees and come and protest then. Well, you, like they, they come out, the protesters, when the big spring racing carnival is on where they're right. going to get a bit of media attention and stuff like that. Mm. It more tells me that they're just doing it for the hype than, than they are for the horses. So, right. you, know, get, you know, get down here. You know, I'm not against it. Like everybody, mm. everybody's got their own opinion and, mm. <clears throat> you know, I know people think that um, horse racing is cruel. Like, Completely and totally disagree with it. Mm. I think that they're beautiful animals and they're they're, they're, they're treated so well mm. um, and looked after. And you know, I, you know the love that uh, these horses receive from their owners 
um, and from the strappers. And you know, trainers. If if you don't, if you're a trainer and you don't love a, your horse, you're, you're not open the world. Yeah. So the, I, I disagree with the way that they think. But look, everyone's entitled to their opinion. So. Mm. Do you think the, the the protesting and the pressure that that is put on around that time, but then improves the industry as a whole? Because like I, I don't know. I watch it on TV, and you know, I follow all the the big horse races and. Friend, I have friends that don't like it, and I, I say, you know, I think I think they're treated quite well, but I don't know for facts what happens behind the behind the fences and everything. But do you? Is the industry like coming down, and do they check and make sure everything's? Yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah, and it's it's huge. It's obviously um, welfare and care. The, the, the RVL's got a, a section now that um, completely does that, mm. and, and especially. Um, Thoroughbred aftercare, like the, after they're finished racing, uh, I know that uh, we put in a stack of work to make sure that they go to good homes or, um, you know, if they are sold, they're sold to a, real, a good person that's going to look after them. Yeah. You know, there's obviously cases where um, things go wrong, but I think there's cases like that in any industry. So yeah. I think if um, the protesters, uh, you know, came down and saw how, how well the horses are treated and how much the people working with them do love them, they, they may mm. see it a little bit differently. Right. I've, got, I've got friends myself that don't like horse racing. Yeah, and, right. You know, that, I'm, I'm not against that. That's, that's fine. That's, yeah. that's pe- people's choice. And mm. if they don't like it, they don't like it. But um, I, I think we are doing a lot now, I think, mm. um, you know, with padded whips and stuff like that. And eh, the rates of breakdowns in horses now, I, I think it's a lot less than it used to be. And right. It's not often that you see the uh, green screen coming up now. For for the amount of races that we have, mm. um, I think the the industry's done a fantastic job to uh, minimise um, all those sorts of stuff. Right, and there's a lot of programs in place. With I've seen horses post racing will go to either Victoria Police or uh, become show jumpers and yeah, like that's so this program. Yeah, there's a, there was a whole section of um, people that it's called the off the track section mm-hmm. up at uh, Racing Victoria yeah. and Racing Australia has really got behind it as well. So we can, if I'm going to retire a horse today, I need to tell Racing Australia where it's going, who's going to own it, how much I sold it for, did it have any injuries when it was going out. Yeah. So there's a whole checklist now of when a horse is going to leave your stable. Right. Um, so there's accountability. Yeah. So we, we have to be accountable for that horse, no matter where it's going, what it's doing. Yeah. Um, if it's going to a pony club person, mm. if we're, um, you know, if it's maybe it might be going up to Queensland to keep racing. Yeah. Um, Northern Queensland and stuff like that, which happens quite a lot. They get another part of their life. But mm. Racing Australia have put things into place to make sure that um, owners and trainers are accountable now for what happens to horses once right. they retire and finish racing. And most horses sort of uh, – Depending if they go to stud to breed or um, is sort of eight, eight or nine the average. So yeah, the usually, obviously, go to. injury um, can curtail that. So yeah. you might have a horse break down at four that needs to be retired, and that, yeah. that happens quite often. But mm. usually, six, seven, eight around the time that they uh, they finish racing and, yeah. and uh, move on to the next life. And do, do you become uh, like emotionally attached to horses? Like you know, if if you do have a horse breakdown, is it is it quite yeah, it's devastating. Yeah. It's devastating. I, I uh, you, you don't like to see the animal get hurt ever. No, yeah. So, you know, I'm here. Don't worry, I make money out of the game mm. um, and I love it, but I, I, I have a real attachment to most of the horses. Yeah. But oh, it's just one of those things. I, I don't think we're, that you could be in it if and you didn't not, have that yeah, sort of attachment. Yeah, you, you, right. Even even the biggest trainers, you know, Darren Weir or David mm. Hayes, they still have attachment to the horses for yeah, sure. Yeah. But they're bigger and obviously makes things harder, but, gee, we all get disappointed if something goes wrong with one of our horses. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. What, what's been your favourite horse you've had through your stables? Um, probably a horse called Labiel. She ran second in the Caulfield Cup to Sky Heights. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, I can't remember what year it was, but she was she's my favourite. She, and she just had she had the personality of a person. She was just yeah. an amazing, amazing mare, and she was a cripple. She was she was literally so arthritic, and oh. I used to have to walk her for a hand walker for an hour. We didn't have walkers back then. Yeah, hand walker for an hour, and then uh, she'd come right and. Uh, she just had the most amazing spirit and uh, will to run and will to win. She yeah. was just a, an amazing horse. And I just think, you know, she's probably not the best horse that we've ever had. Mm. But um, 
I don't know, there's just something about her that uh, just had a fight and uh, yeah. tenacity that yeah. uh, that I loved. And how long did she race for? Uh, she, she had a couple of knee operations. She ended up racing for about four years. Right. Yeah, she was yeah. a very good man. Yeah. What about Awesome Rock? Is he uh, up yeah, there? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's really good horse. He's... Um, he said he was a real sort of a nonchalant horse. Like yeah. he was, he was easy to do anything with, and he he was a very much a, a stable favourite. But he was he was kind of always just there. Mm. So he was great to have around the stable, and he was never any issues or like that. But they mm. sort of didn't have a, you know, there were no, I don't know, nothing really popped out to say yeah. I'm really good. Yeah, but clearly he was. Yeah, yeah. that. He had a great story behind it. You lost that race uh, on protest, wasn't it? And then yeah, the Australian came, Cup. Yeah, and then yeah. he came back. Yeah, came back in the uh, spring and won the won the Emirates. Yeah. So uh, luckily it was uh, vindicated, yeah. and uh, it was it was pretty uh, pretty bit of pill to swallow in the in the autumn yeah. losing a two million dollar race. Yeah, absolutely. Is a horses like that what sort of makes the it's so addicted the game and the yeah. you know the, that early starts yeah. are easy when you've got. Something like that. Hundred percent. It. Yeah. Um, you know, there's out of the fifty-two that we've got here now, there's probably thirty-two that haven't raced yet. Oh right. And that yeah. they are what I get out of bed for. Right. Just you, you just don't know what's around the corner. You yeah. might have a winks or a you know a black caviar sitting in a box out there, and we just don't know it uh, yet. Yeah. So I love um, seeing them come through, and you yeah. know the majority turn out that they're never ever going to be a winks <laughs> or a black caviar, but. It's nice trying to find out and, and get things going along the way. Do you, do you feel uh, when you've got a, a reasonable horse going and you've got owners wanting to know what's going on and say you've got a big race coming up and you're prepping a horse for that, that's a chance, is there a lot of pressure that goes into that, that around the stable is everybody sort of tre- treading lightly, you know, you don't want anything to go wrong with the horse? Yeah, and, always, always, yeah. Dan. And, and at the end of the day, they're five to 600 kilogram animals mm. Uh, running on legs that are about the same width as ours yeah. and same, they're probably a bit denser, um, and they're going 60 to 65 kilometres an hour. So things go wrong every day. Yeah. Um, so you, there always is pressure, and I think um, I probably put more pressure on myself when I've got a, a favourite running right? because I know that every punter in the world's on yeah. it <laughs> and, um, you know, they're, they're wanting it to win and we're wanting it to win. So you never want your horse to run badly, but unfortunately they do sometimes. Yeah, and – with the with, you know the rise of social media and people being able to contact you on there after a race, um, do you uh, respond to people like that? Say your favourite gets beat or you know a horse doesn't perform to how punters or owners want it. Do you sometimes? Just, you just, yeah, yeah, sometimes. I'm yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter and and Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I uh, didn't have a lot of time for Facebook, and I found it found that it was taking a lot of my time. But yeah. on you get you get a little bit of feedback on Twitter, but not a hell of a lot, I don't think. I, mm. I, you know, and at the end of the day, it's a, a, a punter that's lost his money and probably just needs to vent somewhere. So yeah, uh, right. let them go, let them do what they want to do. It's not going to affect my life. Yeah, do you, and with owners, um, do, you do, do most of your owners just let you do your thing, or do you have owners that come in that are trying a bit more hands on and want? Things to happen, or Bart actually, Bart actually used to have a really good saying. Yeah, he uh, someone said, "How much do you charge?" He said, uh, eighty dollars a day. I'll charge to train your horse." He said, "If yeah. you want to help me, it's one hundred and ten a day." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, look, I'm uh, I'm open to suggestions and stuff like that, and I'll always listen because at the end of the day, my owner is my client. Yeah, and yeah. you know you've got to you've got to listen to clients. Uh, wishes and respects and take them on board mm. but at the end of the day they are paying you to do a job so hopefully you can uh, satisfy uh, their needs and their wants and, yeah. and go from there yeah it's probably more than 80 dollars a day now is it that, that yeah we're, we're 110 a day right yeah. so that's the average so if i owned a horse if i bought a horse at a sales yep. gave it to you to train you always hear that it's like 50 to sixty thousand dollars a year yeah roughly to train a horse is yeah roughly yeah. yeah and then so it's sort of one one decent city when a year is would cover your costs. Yeah, sort of the yeah, yeah. One decent city. We, yeah. we race for you know one hundred to one hundred twenty thousand on a Saturday. Yeah. Obviously, not every horse can get to race on a Saturday yeah. in the city. Yeah. But um, yeah, you do need to. You know, you, you really need horses being able to pay their own way. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, just back to the social media thing as well. You, you stuck up for your apprentice earlier this year. He copped a bit of uh, Liam Reed, was it? Yeah. yeah. And he copped a bit of heat online from a yeah punters. Maybe he didn't ride a horse. Uh, is it is that often is that happening often to to young jockeys? Yeah, there was there, so probably 
I had a bit of a crack at a guy yeah. um, because I managed to find him and I think he was clearly – he'd been on the soup right. as well as on the punt. Right. So right. – and he, he got very personal with his attack. It right. was a stinging attack and I watched the ride and, you know, what? I, it wasn't – there wasn't a hell of a lot Liam could do but I could understand how punters would have been – Quite disappointed with the ride. Right. I've got nothing against that, but mm. don't personally attack. Brought his mother into it and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just, there's just no need for it. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the, the, this guy was given a platform to to attack. Now, my, my Liam took it really well. He, it actually didn't affect him at all. He, and he literally just showed it to me. Yeah. Um, as a side note. And I thought, no, bugger you. You, you, yeah. you know, we, as, Society, we've got to sort of stand up and take some accountability. Yeah. And I just thought, buggy, I'm going to call you out on this and mm. see how you go. And yeah. to the guy's credit, come back, wrote a letter of apology, apologised on Twitter and oh, stuff right. like that. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, maybe yeah. maybe we got a bit out of it. No, it, it got a really huge run with um, the, with the media. So. Yeah. I think they got a fair bit out of it, and mm. there's just no need to personally attack. Everyone's got their no. right to their opinion, but don't personally attack. Kids. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Like apprentices, I guess they got you know it's hard enough as it is trying yeah. to figure out the game and get rides. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, yeah, the sixteen to nineteen year old kids. Yeah, trying to have a crack. You know, that sometimes they can be earning two and three hundred thousand a year, so they're under a hell of a lot of pressure. Yeah, they're working really hard. They're working very, very long hours, mm. doing track work as well as race riding all day. I just don't think that they need that extra pressure from yeah. uh, social media. I'll, I've, I've been at the races years ago and I've seen jockeys get abused over the fence. Is that a common thing that happens? Oh, I don't after? think it happens too much no. anymore. But yeah. um, that was always actually a bit of fun. You'd, you'd always <laughs> see someone hanging over the fence. And, but um, again, you know, if it was it was a bad ride and they're calling them out on a bad ride, no mm, problems. Yeah. Just don't get personal with it. Yeah, fair enough. And with your social media, do you find it's essential now as a trainer to be on social media to keep in contact with your client base and build build your client base? I find it. I find more people out. I, I find people get more information from me as a general public or as a punter. Yeah. And I, I probably look at to it that way a little bit more. I don't. I think my communication is. I I, I don't keep it private. Yeah. But I think if my clients are paying for that, I'd prefer to give that to them rather than switch it out on social media. Mm-hmm. So if I've got, um, you know, awesome rocks running on Saturday, I'll send my spiel out. But, um, you know, then I might I might just do something fluffy on right. social media yeah. or, you know, or, or just tell punters what they need to know. Whereas my uh, clients that are actually paying for that service and for me to do that job, they might just get a bit more. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, a little bit more info. Yeah. And we're talking earlier about, uh, you, you know, you're punting in the early days when, you know, you were 17. Do, do you still punt now on horses? Or no. Do, do you just, yeah, you just stay. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm well off. I uh, I probably, I did well back then and I, I had a really good run, but uh, I'm probably the worst punter in the world. <laughs> I've got really good mates and they're all punters and, um, yeah. you know, they reckon I'm the worst tipster in the world as right. well. So <laughs> I'm probably better off staying away and I, I – yeah. I think I um, I dislike losing more than I like winning. If that yeah, makes sense, right, so yeah, yeah. Um, so I stopped doing it. Yeah. And I don't do it much. I probably have five or six bets a year. Yeah, tops. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about uh, the best horse you've ever seen on the track live? Yeah, I I love Black Caviar. Yeah. Um, she was just an out and out superstar, and I know that uh, just out here, just fifty meters away, she. Yeah. Scorched down there yeah, a few she times. Did too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she was a superstar. And I was actually uh, underbid her on her, which was quite heartbreaking. But yeah. um, I think. So, so, so you were at the sales when she was going through. Going, yeah. yeah. And yeah. What, she, she was sold for a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah right. 210,000. So I was wow. with um, a really good client of mine at the time, um, Peter Carrick. Yeah. And I reckon I'd looked at Black Caviar six or seven times out in the the, – she's just one of the nicest horses I've ever seen in my life. She wasn't perfect in front. She had a – she was slightly offset in the front, but she's just – she looked like a big colt. Yeah. Uh, And I just – every time I'd walk past, you'd you'd catch a glint of her in your eye and she was just one of – I know it's easy to say now that she's Black Caviar, (laughs) but um, she was just one of those horses that we we couldn't stop looking at. Um, Pete went in to, to buy her and I was just, I was buying at the time. 
um, yeah. for Pete. So I probably wouldn't have got her to train anyway. I wasn't training at the time. Uh, I reckon yeah. Mick Price would have got her, which would have been really interesting. Right, yeah. Um, and I remember standing there and Pete bid to 200000 and I looked over and I said, that's probably enough for a Bella Spree filly. Yeah. And then Peter Moody come in over the top of 210. <laughs> Bang, sold to Peter Moody, black caviar. And uh, I said to Pete Carrick, I said, you should try and buy a share in her at least. Yeah. So we went out straight away and said to Pete, can we? Can Pete get a um, share in this in the Bella Spree filly? And he said, sorry, I've done it to, privately to a client. It's uh, all done. So he missed out there as well. Yeah. <laughs> So then watching her just start out and yeah, but I, I got a really um, you know because I know I, I loved her and yeah. just didn't have enough money to buy her at the yeah. time. So you know that's bad luck and yeah. uh, I, I should have kept going and trusted my judgment a bit more. <laughs> yeah. Does that happen often when you're at the sales? You yeah, hell of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else is it? Efficient? There's underbidder on him. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been uh, rangy rang do. I was underbidder yeah. on him. Oh. Yeah, so uh, I've just got to uh, get more uh, money behind me. Yeah. <laughs> if there's any big investors out there yeah, that want to yeah. want to race really good horses, yeah. come and see us. <laughs> so you've definitely got the eye for the. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually my passion. I, it's Dan. I love it. I yeah. I could look at yearlings every day of my life. It's yeah. something that uh, I get a really big kick out of. Yeah. Um, I try not to follow them after I love them, but I always go back when a good horse comes out and wins a good race. Yeah. I always go back to my notes and see what I wrote on it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So did you pick Star Spangled Banner? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pick, pick Star Spangled Banner with Brad Spicer. Um, that was a funny story behind that as yeah. well. We um, Star, It was the year of EI, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so Mark Riley had a, a really good horse yeah, at the time. So, so there was a, it was a flu, equine influenza. Yeah, sorry, out. yeah. So what, yeah. what year? That was early thousands, was it? Early uh, yeah, it would have been 2007, I think. Yeah, right. Or, yeah. or eight, maybe. Yeah. And the horses, I remember in Sydney, they could only race out of Yeah, one, yeah, they were only, track. yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and they weren't allowed to move anywhere. They weren't allowed to go into state. You mm. weren't, if you had, you know, 52 horses of Flemington, they weren't allowed to go anywhere. Anyway, right. Yeah. And they literally shut the public off from uh, racing and everything mm. like that. Yeah. So it was around that time. Yeah. And we're at the sales and, um, Brad Spicer was with me and he goes, oh, look, Mark Rowley's got this really good horse and it's got a half-brother going through the sale. And I said, oh, we'll go and have a look at it. So yeah. we went and had a look at it and loved the horse. He was a, be- he was a ripping type and good family, great page and everything yeah. like that. And we 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 bought him for 120000 Yeah. Um, knocked down to us, bang. There was no underbidder. I think that was a reserve. Uh, Tony <laughs> Santic of Maccabi Diva fame was selling the horse yeah. and ended up staying in for 25%, which was great. And then walking past about um, – well, Black Caviar was actually sold about 15 or 20 lots later. Oh, right. And then about half an hour, an hour after that, Mark Rowley was walking down and I said, oh, Mark, we bought the half to your good horse that got stuck up in Sydney with the EI. And he said, which one? <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, lot 210, whatever it was. He said, that's not a half to mine. And we've looked at <laughs> the page and Brad goes, oh, geez, I've stuffed this up. <laughs> <laughs> so we we loved the horse anyway, and yeah. he did have he did have a review page. It just wasn't a, a half to the really good horse in um, in Sydney. Wow. But, Do you think uh, you, if you found that out before you purchased it, you wouldn't have bought it? Oh, we probably still would have bought yeah, it to be yeah. honest, because he was a really good type. Yeah, yeah. And, and he then, went on to win. Yeah, well, he, yeah. we were lucky enough. He went on to win uh, two million. Wow! And we sold him for ten million. So yeah, yeah. So we had a really good, uh, really yeah. good break there. It was fantastic. And he he raced in. He won in England, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he won two races over yeah. there. So yeah. that was that was fantastic. Did and you get to go over? To I didn't at the time. I was um, yeah, my dad had been suspended, so right. I was holding the fort here. And yeah. Brad and I really wanted to go over and watch him race, but. Yeah. Brad was racing manager at the time, yeah. and I was training for Dad at the time, so we both got stuck in Melbourne, and right. Dad ended up going. So oh. <laughs> yeah, so he got he got the fun and uh, had the enjoyment. <laughs> That's great. So have you got uh, like we're currently in May now in, in Melbourne. Um, have you been? The sales were recently, weren't they? The, yeah, the yeah. They're, they're just about to round off. There's right. uh, there's one sale to go. That's it. Yeah. And do you go to most of those? And yeah, I've been to every one of them. Yeah. Uh, bought 35 so yeah. far. So uh, been working quite hard and yeah. now, now I've got to sell 35. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you, so do you go and get 35 without any owner's uh, attached to them, hundred percent, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, so. which is very dangerous. Uh, <laughs> I spent. Uh, I probably spent a million and a half, two million this year. Right. Yeah, yeah. which is probably down a little bit. I bought fifty-two last year. Yeah. Um, probably spent close to three million last wow. year. Yeah. Yeah, without an owner. <laughs> 
I'm very lucky though. I've got yeah. I've got a really good supporter base, and yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll buy them and then get home and send an email out, and right. I usually can sell. 40, 50% straight away and oh, and then I chip away and sell the rest. I, I get very good credit terms from Magic Millions and yeah. uh, Inglis and they, yeah. they both look after me very, very well and I think they do most people in the industry. Otherwise, yeah. it wouldn't be able to go around. Yeah. Do you find – because you've got a bit of a, a knack for spotting a good horse. Do you find people sniffing around you at, at sales and watching what oh, you're not really. No, things? everyone's got their own opinions. Right, um, yeah. And probably everyone thinks that they're as good as the next person. I was about so. to say, yeah, the people yeah, – like And they, you know what? They yeah, are. Yeah. They are because, uh, you know, I, I don't like every good horse that there's ever been. And, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, if I buy one and, you know, someone goes, oh, I didn't like that. And I, you know, it's just yeah. everyone's opinion and they're entitled to it and I'm entitled to mine. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I'm lucky enough to get it right. That's mm. all. So if you want to share a horse out, say you bought it at the sales for say two hundred thousand, do you try and, and sell two hundred thousand dollars worth of shares, or do you sell? Do you keep some yourself of the horse? No, it's not no? good business keeping. Yeah, really? No, no because yeah. obviously um, I'm not very good at paying training fees. <laughs> so if I've got a horse in here that I own twenty percent of, uh, yeah. we're not getting twenty percent of the training fees. Right. Yeah. So it's not good business, yeah. and it, it's a stupid business, the horse racing business, because we aim to break even on training fees. Okay. Yeah. Which is um, – it, it, because that's the way we have to do it basically. Yeah. And then if we win races, we get prize money on the top. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I get a decent wage still. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we're not uh, raking in the cash from the $110 yeah. a day per horse. That basically pays for staff, feed, yeah. um, obviously your wages and everything like that, workers' comp, yeah. rent here at yeah, Flemington, right. which is obviously very expensive. And yeah. What percentage of a, of a winning check do you get as a trainer? Ten percent, right? Yeah, yeah. So which that's that's where you sort of get your cream on the top. So if you can, yeah. you know, if you can win a couple of million a year, you, yeah, things are going good. Yeah, great. And and from those sales, as I say, we're in May now. Is there anything going forward that you think might um, people can look out for in springtime? Probably probably too early for um, the ones I've just bought. Yeah. But I've got a really good group of two year olds coming through of which I've been having a little bit of success over the last sort of four or five weeks. Yeah. And I've brought, I've got a horse called Thrillster, who's a, a mm-hmm. really nice filly that I think um, is one to watch out for. A horse called Thunderdome and a horse called Titan Blinders. They're probably three that uh, you'll see in the spring that I've got uh, really big hopes for. Yeah, that puts a spring in your step of a morning. Yeah, it does, and it does. <laughs> and this, as I said, there's still plenty coming through that haven't raced yet that, that aren't ready. So, yeah. um, you know, I've got another 25 or 32 year olds that haven't raced yet. Yeah. I saw your vet in here this morning when I came. I, I met you, your vet was here, and you had some staff around, and the biggest dog I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> she, that's Roxy. She's Roxy, massive. Yeah. Uh, what does she weigh? Uh, gee, I don't know what she weighs. We should put her on the yeah. horse scales. She's bigger than some of the horses. Yeah, well, I came. I thought it was a small horse when I came in. One of the biggest uh, guard dogs I've seen. Um, the, the vet. Do you have your vet in around most mornings? It's yeah, she's a, in every morning. So yeah. she'll spend probably usually an hour. At yeah. our stable every morning, she yeah. um, she does hazes and hawks as well. So right. she's got to spread herself between the, yeah. um, us. But uh, yeah, she she will sit there and go over things, and she'll do X rays and yeah. scans of horses and stuff like that, and mm. salt washes to um, keep them hydrated and right. and um, the little medications and stuff like that we try and do ourselves just to keep some costs down. Yeah. But um, she sort of runs a general eye over things that we needed to look at. Yeah, I I looked into it uh, when I, I moved to Melbourne f- for stand up comedy in 2010, and I had I needed a job like during the day, and I, I've always been fascinated by horses, um, and I looked into doing an equine massage course. Do you, okay, do you have many? Uh, yeah, I, I tell you, I've got well? um, I've got a, a really good. I don't know. She's not really massage, but she's yeah. um, uh, she does more. Physiotherapy yeah, with them, right. uh, yeah. Pearl, Paul, Pearl Casabon, she does yeah. that. And then I've also got um, a girl that does acupuncture. Oh, right. So between yeah. the two of those, I, I use them quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing, obviously, being such big, long, big, long animals, yeah. they get a lot of issues over their backs and behind. Mm. And I, f- I feel that it, it is a really good help and a really good tool. Yeah, well, I, I get, I'm 6'5, I get acupuncture on my back. It's great. It yeah. Loosens everything up. Yeah, and how, how good does, how good do you feel after a yeah, massage? Yeah. I mean, everyone feels good after a massage. Yeah. So, do they react well to the needles? Going very on? much so. It's, yeah, uh, you should, you should actually watch it and yeah. uh, film it and show your listeners because, uh, sometimes they just sit there and absolutely love it and you'll see a little pressure point released or something like that yeah. and a, a big sigh comes out. So it's really good to watch. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, we mentioned social media. Where can people find you on social media? You're on Instagram and Twitter? Yeah, I'm on um, Twitter as uh, the company's Malua Racing. Yep. And I'm on Twitter as Destroystons, <laughs> which is a nickname that came up for me many yeah. years ago and I just right. put it on Twitter, which is yeah. <laughs> probably a bit stupid, but anyway, it's quite funny now. That's great. Um, so uh, either, either of those two. Yeah, and if people wanted to uh, listen to this, possibly my dad will probably listen to this. I mean, <laughs> what um, If they wanted to get into the – a share in a horse or just inquire about yeah, it? Yeah, just, about that. just have a look on the website. Yeah, uh, so it's it's .com .au. Yep. Um Or, you know what, give me a call. Yeah. Uh, my number's on there. Yeah. Give me a call. I'm more than happy for you to come down, have a look at the horses, yeah. have a look at the stables. Right. Especially if you're new to horse racing and you've never seen it before. Yeah. Come down, have a look, see how we can treat them and yeah. how they get looked after. And, you know, you might be interested in a share, you might not. But yeah. nothing ventured, nothing gained. And yeah. um, everyone's welcome to come and have a look. I think if people come down here and look at it, and and walk around the track. I, it's it's quite impressive. I think you'd you'd leave probably with more customers if they came here. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so too. I yeah. think so too. This it's sort of when people get to come down and have a look at actually what goes on and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, they always leave quite impressed. It's yeah, good. and watch out for Roxy when you come through the gate as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's a gentle giant. Oh, she, yeah, come she on, she will lick you to death. <laughs> she will lick you to death. But just be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> if she jumps on you, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Troy. Well, thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. Appreciate your time. Fantastic, Dan. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. If you'd like to follow Troy on social media, you can follow him on Instagram at Troy Corstens. Corstens is spelled C-O-R-S-T-E-N-S. You can follow him on Twitter at Destroystens uh, or Malua Racing. So at Malua Racing. That's M-A-L-U-A Racing. Uh, and if you'd like to inquire about horse ownership or shares or anything like that, head along to maluaracing.com.au. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Um, you let them know they can subscribe on iTunes if they please. And if you are on iTunes, feel free to leave a comment or a rating. That'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, if you want to steer anyone towards the podcast that doesn't have iTunes, uh, you can send them to my website, which is danielconnell.com.au, and under the podcast section there, you can listen to all previous episodes and future episodes. Uh, while you're on there, you might as well check out my gigs page for upcoming live stand-up shows that I'm doing around the place. And uh, one final thing, next time you're on Facebook, why don't you go to my comedy page, Daniel Connell Comedy, and give that a little like. That'd be also appreciated. That's it. Thanks for listening. Take it easy. See you next time.